0: I'd invite you to turn with me into Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. I know uh, many people don't carry their Bibles anymore, but instead carry it on their their phone, their iPad, or they wait to get here and get it on the sermon notes. Um, so, but go ahead and grab your Bibles. As we have already seen, Matthew 15, 16, and 17 are a recorded turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, The crowds continue to follow him, and they hunger for his healing, they hunger for his feeding, they hunger for all kinds of things, but what they don't acknowledge is that Jesus is the Messiah. They reject that uh, perspective, and they continue to reject, although they continue to follow and last week, um, we saw how Jesus fed the 4,000 and how that was a different group that they fed. He fed the 4,000, which were pre- predominantly Gentiles. And the time before, he fed the 5,000, which were the Jews, which showed that there was no partiality with Christ. Whatever he was going to do for, for the chosen people, he's going to do for all people. So the promises of God are for everyone. And today we focused on the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus um, pretty much rebukes the Pharisees and Sadducees and teaches about the dangers of listening or following false teaching. Um, but before we dive into that, um, how many you know how many here have carbon monoxide detectors? in their house. The interesting thing about carbon monoxide, um, when oxygen, when you breathe in, you breathe in oxygen. And oxygen then goes to all your organs, the blood sort of circulates, it takes it wherever it's supposed to go, and so it drops off these oxygen mo- molecules and then picks up carbon dioxide and takes it back to the lung and so you exhale carbon dioxide. When you breathe breathe in carbon monoxide, carbon monoxide attaches to the blood and because the blood likes it so much, it won't take on anything else. It won't take on oxygen molecules and it won't take on carbon dioxide molecules. So, because the red blood cells love it so much, they kill themselves with carbon monoxide, and people actually suffocate while breathing carbon monoxide. Um, so Matthew sixteen verses one through twelve. That was your biology lesson. So take a few minutes and read Matthew sixteen verses <laughs> verses one through twelve. You know, I got to tell you something. Christmas Eve was one of the best Christmases. I mean, I just enjoyed being here. And I I talked about a heart, this person had the Southwest flight that had um, taken off from Seattle with a heart that was meant for a recipient. But the whole time I'm saying, this heart was meant for a donor. I don't know how many people caught it, but Bob immediately caught it. And I see a hand from back behind the sound booth. Um, but it was one of the first times, and I think Bob actually had to struggle. Do I, do I say something that it's Christmas Eve or do I just let Andy go and be wrong? Um, but then I even went worse. I said, but the good news was that the plane got back to Seattle and it was in time for the donor. <laughs> and Bob goes, I don't think that donor was going to be saved by that heart at that point. <laughs> and you know what? I never even caught it. But anyway, take a minute, read. Read. More stories. It's all stories today, folks. I have nothing. I, I have no message. Um, take a few minutes. And read at your tables, Matthew 16, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 16. At this point, Jesus and his disciples had moved away from the Decapolis, which was predominantly Gentile, and now they're moving into a more Jewish region again. And as soon as they arrive at this area, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are there to meet him. And you see it in verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees come to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees Never came together, and so when they do come together, it's for a specific purpose, and it has to be a pretty significant purpose for these two opposite groups of uh, groups to come together, because the Pharisees were really the more conservative; they were they were really hoping for a revival back into the the traditions of the faith. They were the more popular ones with the people. They were pretty much from the working class. Uh, They were they were more accepted. Uh, Their only problem was that they had put tradition above the scripture. And so, you know, from some perspectives, we would say they're the extreme fundamentalists, the extra biblical people who say, you know, in order to be saved, you have to follow all these rules. You can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't chew, you can't go out with people that do. You know, I mean, all of those types of things that they would make all these extra rules. And the Sadducees would have been from the the aristocracy. They were the ones that just had to protect themselves. They were the ones that collected the money in the temple. They believed in all the same things, or most of the same things, that the pharisees did but they didn't believe in the resurrection uh they didn't believe in hell they didn't believe in some of these key things and they would do whatever was expedient to get what they wanted and so in that perspective they'd say these are the extreme liberal people who you know would deny you know the authority of christ they would deny you know um the authority of the scripture so opposite groups and for them to come together, you knew that they had to have a cause. And that cause was to test Jesus. And to test Jesus for the purpose of discrediting him. And for the purpose of discrediting him so that they could have him eventually killed. And that's what the Pharisees were now going to be plotting from this day forward, to kill Jesus. And the reason why is because Jesus interfered with their plans interfered with their um, their lifestyle so the Sadducees were, remember they were the ones that were collecting the money from the sacrifices and Jesus turned over the temple the tables in the temple so you know hey he's affecting our income and for the Pharisees he's affecting our authority and so they both want him out of the way don't challenge or don't change what we've got um and so uh, I have no idea where I am now <laughs> but they did not come to seek to learn from Jesus they came to seek to test Jesus and that's not too much different than what goes pl- on in our world today people will say you know not coming to seek Jesus but to test Jesus. If you really are, then do this for me. Instead of, since you are, teach me in this experience. And there's a world of difference. And so they came to test him versus say, teach me, God, because I'm going through this and I don't fully understand it. But to learn to seek God, to learn from him, takes a humility that says, I don't have it all. I don't know it all. And I'm not going to shape God into my own image. So once again, they came to test him. And Jesus, at this point, uh, responds to them in verses 2 and 3. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. Now, even before I was a Christian, I knew that saying. You know, red sky in morning, sailor take warning, red sky at night, sailor's delight. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that before. But even before I was, I had no idea where it came from. And Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees. You guys understand the weather. In fact, you're really good weathermen but you're horrible theologians. And you hear the irony of that? They're supposed to be theologians. and so But instead of saying, you're great theologians, not too good on the weather, says, you're great weathermen, but really bad theologians. Um, and then, so Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, that he will only give them one sign, the sign of Jonah. And it goes, and an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah refers to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the belly of a large fish for three days, Jesus would be in the cave for three days, and then he would be resurrected. Um... And isn't that sort of an interesting sign that he would give to them? The Pharisees are out to kill him. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. So he says, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be resurrected. That will be your sign. You know, the exact thing that you don't believe could possibly happen will happen, and that will be your sign. Um, what we need to realize in all that folks it's not evidence that convinces or doesn't convince somebody it's a hardness of heart so a lot of times we will try to convince somebody of the truth of something based on evidence or based on what we believe and we will argue and argue and argue something and it won't make any difference because what they're saying is that my heart has been hardened and until that heart is hardened they're not going to hear the truth of the scripture they're not going to hear what god has to say and we don't get it sometimes as humans because we say but it makes all the sense in the world You, you can't you see what god does and people will still trust only themselves instead of trusting that God can make a difference. Uh, And we see that over and over. Um, You see in this passage, that wouldn't really matter what sign Jesus would have performed. They weren't there really to see a sign. They were there to trick him, to discredit him, to get the people to say he's not the savior. And isn't it interesting that this is also the beginning of when more and more people like his miracles, but they don't want to acknowledge that he's the Messiah, that he's their Savior. There's another thing you see in this passage, and that, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are intelligent people. They have great knowledge. They're learned. They have you know, this knowledge above all other people. And yet, they don't have the wisdom of God. And sometimes we rely on people who have knowledge to teach us, but they're not teaching with the wisdom of God, or they're not teaching from God. So we look for the the smartest people, the wisest people that we think, and we say, well, did you hear what so-and-so said? Well, this is what so-and-so said about the economy. This is what so-and-so said about politics. This is what so-and-so said about God. That we look for worldly wisdom instead of from the Word. And if you're really going to find out truth, you're not going to find it in the world. You're going to find it in the Word. Um, So Jesus is saying, be careful about the teaching of the Pharisees. In verses 5 through 7. When the disciples reached the other side, They had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. Now, they were so concerned about their own hunger, they were concerned, and in Mark we find out that among all of them there was only one loaf of bread. And so they're saying, How are we going to eat? And Jesus is upset that we didn't bring the bread and they just start talking amongst themselves. And again, isn't that so human? That we have a problem and instead of going to God, say, hey Jesus, that's why we forgot the bread. You know, another little miracle here in the boat would be nice. Um, Instead, they start talking amongst themselves. And we just do that. We have a problem and we just start talking to one another. And we start seeking solutions among one another instead of just taking it to Jesus. Um, So again, they don't ask Jesus to explain what he meant. Instead, they start discussing it among themselves. Um, See, I think we are slow to understand the lessons that God is teaching us. Because we quickly fill our minds with the thoughts of other people. You know, God's trying to teach us a lesson, but instead of just going to prayer, going to the Word, taking time, we just start going to all these people sort of in this frantic search to find out what God is trying to teach us. And then we find that even though the... Disciples initially miss the point. Um, They get it. Jesus gives gives them a mild rebuke, and then he explains what he meant. And so the idea of leaven indicates the subtle nature of the false teachings of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And almost in any false teaching, there's a couple of things that go along with it. Number one, it really elevates us you know god's going to do something wonderful for you there's going to be it's always going to focus on the blessing of you because there's not going to, not too many people are going to come come around and say with the teaching and expect people to follow it says, your life is going to be miserable for the rest of your life i think i'm going to follow that one you know so there's an element of it's it's going to benefit me and it has an element of truth so it looks good, and it feels good. And because it looks and feels good, we sort of buy into it. Um, and I've see, seen that in almost every arena of life. That people will take this good, and maybe tie a little bit of scripture to it, and then that's all of a sudden, now we call it Christian. Instead of saying, wait, now what does the word actually say about it? So in verses 8 and 10, but Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Why, you have little faith, why are you discussing this? And then he goes on to explain, don't you remember I fed the 5,000 and then I fed the 4,000? Do you think I'm going to have a problem with taking care of the, with us? Don't you remember that I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve? And that I will I'm here to benefit you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to provide for you. I'm here to give you the word. I'm here to help you live a life that is pleasing to God. I'm help, help. I'm doing all of that for you. You don't think I can't take care of your hunger? But again, a lot of times we're more concerned about our physical, material needs. Than we are about our spiritual needs and Jesus is reminding them once again I'll take care of all of it trust me trust me he reminds disciples that he can do anything um, so the Pharisees unbelief had blinded them to the clear signs that Christ was standing right in front of them that he was the Messiah But the disciples speak with sort of this faith that has been blinded um, or is a weak faith. And, you know, I can understand that because, again, I just see it so much in my life and I see it in lives of people who have been part of the church forever. We have been doing something for so long and we've been doing it the same way for so long. And that now we have shaped our thinking that if this is going to be truly spiritual or truly biblical it has to fit my understanding of what it looks like instead of just saying no wait what does God say in his word about what is biblical and what is right and what is beneficial and so for the Pharisees for the, the disciples They grew up under the Pharisees' teaching. And Jesus is now saying to them, these are good people, but they're teaching you falsehood. That'd be pretty hard if you grew up revering somebody all your life. And then somebody else comes along and says, oh, by the way, what they taught you was false. You know, that would be a pretty hard pill for us to swallow. And to just take it from the authority of one person versus saying, wait a second, what is our ultimate authority? Because I could believe this person, or I could believe this. And unfortunately, that goes on in our society all the time. So he repeats the saying in verses 11 and 12. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So there was another aha moment for the disciples. Got it. It doesn't matter who makes the bread. It doesn't matter if it's a, a cult leader, an atheist, a reprobate. They're gonna make the bread, we're gonna eat the bread, and it's not gonna harm us. That's not what harms us. What harms us is the things that we listen to, the teachings we believe, and where they come from. So we have to constantly be asking, who are we listening to? What are we listening to? And whether it be from the outside or the lies we tell ourselves. We're all listening to something. We're all listening to someone. And so this message that Jesus is giving to the disciples who he's gonna give the mission of building his church to, he's warning them saying, if my church is gonna be built on you, you better make sure who you're listening to. I think what has happened in the church in the United States is that we stop listening to God. We stop listening to the scripture. We stop listening to Jesus. And so, but we have the same mission. I still believe that the church is the only true answer to the problems in our society. But when the church isn't being the church and we're listening to other things, then there becomes a problem. That becomes a pretty significant problem. So the teaching that he gives to his disciples is appropriate for us all so. um, and especially in, in a day like today, uh, the ty- this type of false teaching is all around us. but it's not just in the false religious religions and cults. It, it's in the evangelical fundamental movement, it's in the liberal movement. it's everywhere. The world has so penetrated the thought of Christianity that it has far more impact on Christianity than Christianity has on the world. Uh, It's all around us. And it's recognized by turning away from the truth of God's Word. The problem is, is if you preach God's truth, you're a bigot, you're full of hate, Um, Franklin Graham wrote something and he got kicked off of Facebook they said it was hate speech and so he put it on Twitter and if you read it it's really not hate it's what he believes the scripture says but he just got kicked off Uh, so it's just sort of interesting how where everything has gone Another warning that's in our society is that Jesus has become more and more marginalized. So that he has no purpose. He has no meaning in people's lives. Or it's just for, you know, it's a nice thing to say. So, you know, you watch Notre Dame, not yesterday, uh, but if you watch Notre Dame and they always talk about touchdown Jesus in the end zone. You know, and there's no sense of, really, really? You know, it's just sort of, he's marginalized. And as he's become more marginalized, the church has become more and more irrelevant um, in the lives of people. So Aaron's family was here, and he was sharing with all of them about going to church. But a few of them have gone. How many of your family have you shared with over and over again? They've seen your change in your life. They've seen your family. They've seen your ministry you do, but have said, not for me. A tireless servant to continue to proclaim. But no matter how much he proclaims, there's something in the heart that says, I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to turn my life over to Christ. So this teaching that is going on around us, Jesus is warning the disciples. And he's telling them that you need to pursue truth. So that's the same warning to us. Each of us has to be a truth seeker. Now, the only place you're going to find truth is in the scripture. So one of the things that we've talked about is trying to get the one-on-one so people just start doing Scripture together. We have digs so people can get into the Scripture. Um, We're going to try to do life groups again in March and April for seven weeks uh, to get people into the Scripture. Because that's where we're going to find truth. It's not going to be in opinions. It's not going to be just us sitting around together, spouting our wisdom, but it's going to be, is this really what the Word of God says for my life, and how do I apply it? So first, be a truth seeker. If you blindly believe everything you hear and read, then one day you're going to find yourself in very deep weeds, and you're not going to be able to get out. Remember that false teaching is unconcerned about the truth and complacency is an ally to false falsehood. We just become complacent. And when complacency, when the Christian community becomes complacent, that's when false teaching has its best ally. Because we no longer confront falsehood with the truth. We just say, that well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And you have to expend energy you have to expend energy to seek the truth. In Acts chapter 17, Paul commended those in Berea because they received the word with eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see whether these things were so. They listened to what Paul had said and then checked it out with the scripture. You should do the same with whatever I say, whatever you hear. Whatever you read, you should just say, you know what? Is that? Is that right? Is that really biblical? I'm going to check the scripture to see if Andy's sort of a little off base here. I used to have my phone number on the screen whenever I was preaching. And then people would ask, type me questions, text me questions while I was uh, preaching, uh, if I came to them. Uh, we stopped doing that because I was getting too many questions. Um, <laughs> Not really, but I can remember. I can remember after one of the services, David Justice, not Dave Justice, David, his son, texted me a question. And I said, Are you sure that that's biblical? And the way I had said it, it wasn't. But he had immediately texted me, tested me, and the next week I had to go back and <coughs> mention that Dave, David Justice questioned me and corrected me on something that I said. That's really the reason why I stopped doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> High school kid corrected me. That's just neither I don't mind the heckling, but really. <laughs> <clears throat> and so that was, you know, but he wasn't he wasn't afraid to challenge what I was going to say. And he wasn't complacent and to say it doesn't matter if it's not right, who cares? it was that serious about making sure about truth. It takes energy. They listened to what Paul said and then checked it out. Second, recognize that false teaching is by design enticing. If somebody's gonna give you false teaching, it's by design, it's gonna be enticing. It sounds good to our selfish nature. It makes us feel good about ourselves because it's man-centered instead. And so it's just easy to find ourselves being attached to that false teaching. Remember what I said about carbon monoxide? That's what false teaching is. False teaching is carbon monoxide to our spirit. It gets there and it sounds good. It feels good. We attach our belief system to it And as we attach our belief system to it, it starts robbing us from the truth. And as it begins to rob us from our truth, just as carbon monoxide kills the physical body, false teaching kills the soul. And so you will have a whole church, and not just, I mean, I'm not talking about a local congregation, but the church overall that is dying from carbon monoxide poisoning because it's false teaching. And we don't even see it. And until the church gets back to proclaiming the truth of the scripture and defining itself by the word and define define itself by who God is, not who we've made God into be, but who the scriptures say he is, the church will never have a revival my prayer my prayer is that river valley becomes a people that people say you know what they got there's a lot of crazy people at river valley there's a lot of really really goofy people but they love god they love his word and they're trying to live it out to the best of their ability through the power of the holy spirit being transformed into Christ-like people. Um, people who are as-is, but who are growing in an understanding of who, who Christ is. There are people who rejoice with the truth is brought, and it's not just who rejoice with the truth that is brought here, but when that truth is brought in every church in the city of Aurora, we rejoice with those churches. And we support them, and we proclaim them, and we let people know that You know this is just one gathering of the body of believers in aurora that there's numerous other gatherings in the city of aurora that are meeting right now who are proclaiming god's truth and who need our support and our prayers also but that the body of believers truly gets back into the word um whatever that may be this is a great time this isn't a new year's message but it's a great time to just say you know what The Word is going to be a part of who I am. And I'm going to start developing a plan to read God's Word and to define myself by God, not by humanity. When we do that, it's an amazing transformation that takes place when we're able to define define ourselves by who God defines us as, not by what the world defines us Father I just praise you and thank you for this day I thank you for the time that we have together and Lord I just thank you that you have provided us with your word and how people all over the world are hungering to get your word into their lives and because it's so prevalent for us we can just become complacent with it Help us not to become complacent with it. To to whatever we do, just to start to continue to get into it. Whether it be as a one-on-one, whether it be as in a small group, whether we join a small group for seven weeks and get into the Word, whatever it is, but help us to be a people who truly hunger for your truth and that we go to your word and not the world to find it. Again, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask for your continued blessing upon each and every person here, that we can go forth and be a blessing to others. And all God's people said,